0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Okay, so here we are. It says, you are here on the screen, and and there's a lot of stuff about what what, what we're going to talk about here in that one phrase, you are here, because this series, a four-week series, we started it last week, and uh, it's called You Are Here because in four weeks we're going to talk about the spiritual growth continuum. What does that mean? It means we're going to talk about people who believe there's a God. They're called explorers. We talked about them last week. Explorers believe they're God. there's a God, but they're not so sure that Jesus is God. And then uh, to take the step from explorer to believer is a step to belief, which you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and that he is Savior and Lord of all. And and then uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And then next week we're going to talk about disciples, people who have moved from believers to disciples. And then the fourth week we're going to talk about spirit-led followers. And so what we're we're talking about is we're going to help you to see where you are now and the goal wherever you are is to take one step farther. And last week, as we defined the explorers, we said that there was a survey done by Willow Creek Church in, uh, in Chicago of 250,000 or more people now um, about their faith. And this, is, uh, this was an objective survey, if you will, that d- broke down the people into four different groups and identified the five most important needs of each of those groups. And each week we're going to identify those needs and we're going to move on. So this week, I, w- I want to just quickly review last week that we said explorers have these five needs. They want help in developing a relationship, personal relationship with Jesus, which makes sense. Secondly, they want compelling worship experiences. They want a feeling of belonging. They want help in understanding the Bible in greater depth and church leaders who model and consistently reinforce how to grow spiritually. To wrap up the message last week, I said, if you're an explorer, you're in the room today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, you can take that step right now. And we had a prayer that was up on the screen that people who were explorers could pray that would give them uh, would basically say, I know I'm a sinner, I need Jesus in my life, and I want him to come in and take over, be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be born again, I want the Spirit of God in my life. And, we, and those who prayed that prayer would move from uh, explorer to believer, which is the most important step, by the way, along the four stages, because the Bible teaches us that an explorer who becomes a believer goes from death to life, eternally speaking, goes from darkness to light, goes from being lost to being found. So today, we're going to talk about believers now, before we get into the five things, before we get into um, the, the definition of a believer, what I want to do is I want to tell a little bit about what came out of that survey about believers. Three specific things about believers uh, among these four groups. First off, we, were, we found out that the believer segment is by far the largest segment uh, along the continuum, with 38% of the people surveyed identifying themselves. So, all, you know, almost four in ten were in this group of believers, Now, the believer group is a group of people um, that in rapidly growing churches like New Life is probably closer to 50%. And I believe that to be true here because in this year of 2015 alone, more than 100 people have gone from being explorers to being believers. They've committed their lives to Jesus, been born again as Jesus called it. So we had 100 new believers already this year here at New Life. Now... Um, The 38% number, that's significant, but the second thing is significant, and that is once you move from explorer to believer, you tend to be more involved, and that also makes sense, and and the point on the screen says they're the most active participants in worship, in small groups, in ministry, doing volunteer ministry in the church and in the community, they're the most uh, active group. At least one out of two believers is doing something active with their faith on a monthly basis, and then the final thing was a little surprising to me when I read it, and that is that... They are uh, their spiritual growth remains slow but steady. I sort of thought that once you move from being an explorer to becoming a believer, that your growth would be rapid, that you would want to become a disciple real quick, that you would want to know what are the disciplines I need to develop in my life and start living them out so I can be a uh, disciple, so I can grow up as a follower of Jesus. But it's sort of like the old Aesop's fable, the tortoise and the hare. You know, the tortoise was slow and steady and the hare was quick, but who won the race? It, It was the tortoise because he didn't quit. And so believers, if they go slow and steady, over time they become disciples, and then over time they become spirit-led. And by the way, Paul the Apostle and Jesus assumed that you could go from being an explorer to being a spirit-led follower in three years or less. That's pretty much what you see by the fact that Jesus called disciples, and in three years he trained them to be disciples and then obviously spirit led when the Holy Spirit came and then Paul the Apostle established churches and assumed that in no more than three years you would grow up along this spectrum now if if you heard that and it's sort of discouraging to you because you think you're a believer and you've been a believer for the last ten years that's okay because it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter where you should be where you are you can take another step and that's what we're going to talk about throughout this series um, today believers so here's the definition Uh, we're going to give you the definition of believer through the take-home point. Those of you who are new today, we have a take-home point every week. It's the one thing we hope that you'll take home. It's written in your connection so you can remember it, so I can remember it, so we can live it out this week. And the take-home point says, believing is trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. So it's very simple. If you want to become a believer, if you're an explorer, all you have to do, and I say all you have to do because it's give your whole ownership of your life over to Jesus. So it's a big deal. But it's very simple. You trust Jesus now. Instead of being in charge of your own life, you want Jesus to be in charge of your life. Instead of making all your own decisions, now you want Jesus to be there to make the decisions. And you go from, as I said, death to life. It's, a, it's an amazing, incredible move. Now, in a, a book called Move, by the way, Willow Creek put some all of this data together. And one of the things that they did is define each group. So let's look at the definition of believer. A believer says, The people in this segment have a personal relationship with Jesus. They've made a commitment to trust Him with their soul's salvation And for eternity, but they're just beginning to learn what it means and what it takes to develop a relationship with him. And in that book, they make an analogy. They say that believers are sort of like teenagers. And I'm going to actually read a couple of sentences that are in the book that helps us to see what they mean by the fact that believers are like teenagers. It says this, much like teenagers... Believers experience significant and intellectual and emotional changes as they adapt their life routines to their newfound beliefs. They may demonstrate adolescent-like insecurity, suggesting that at least some degree of struggle is involved... As they absorb the real life implications of their growing faith. But despite the struggle or maybe because of it. Believers are indeed making progress. Moving from an acknowledgement of God that was largely irrelevant to their daily lives. To a personal relationship with him that directly impacts their everyday experiences. So. What they're saying is spiritual growth and change is hard. Spiritual growth and change isn't automatic. It takes effort. It takes discipline. And, and some of you are like me. You're a little older. And so you might not remember what it was like to move from being a child to being an adolescent. Some of you are going through that right now. Some of you are adolescents right now. And what's happening as you move from childhood into adolescence is you have to make a lot of decisions. And you have, to, uh, you have to be a lot more intentional about your life. You're starting to be asked questions like, what are you going to do? What's your vocation going to be? You're starting to think about, should I date somebody? Who should I date? And, and is this the one when you find that person? Now, those are all important questions. They really are that have to be responded to during our time of adolescence and young adulthood. But the most important question of all for every adolescent to ask is this, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? Because Jesus told us in his word, he will not take second place in our lives. He won't take third or fourth. He will only take one place, and that's first. Jesus said, I'm either first or, or, or I don't want to be. I, I won't be second. And so if Jesus is going to be first in our lives, if we're going to move from just being a, believing in a general God out there somewhere, maybe, to believing that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and the rescuer of sinners, and the Lord or master of our lives, that's a big, big step. And we're going to have some missteps along the way. We're going we're to back up a couple of times. You know the old saying, two steps forward, three steps back? It happens that way sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, God is faithful. And so once we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit works in us. And the good news is, we also have actual people who are already disciples, who are already spirit-led, who want to help us. I always use a lot of sports analogies because I played a lot of sports when I was growing up. And uh, and I still like some sports. And, and, and by the way, Pirates won 3-2 last night, in case you didn't know. Beat Clayton Kershaw. Ooh, gave up three runs to the Pirates last night. That's really higher than his average. Anyway, so every good sports team that wants to win... The veterans teach the younger players how to play. You can always tell if a team wants to win because when a young guy comes onto the team or a young girl comes onto the team, if the veterans help that person grow up to be the best player they can be, they want to win. If they're threatened by the young person, if they're threatened by the new player, they don't want to win. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to win. You know, We want everybody to know Jesus. We want everybody to grow up to be like him. And so the disciples and the Spirit-led folks help and encourage people to move on. Now here, using the sports analogy, what does every team have to have? They have to have a playbook, especially like a football team has to have a playbook. Now, you know, you don't think of baseball as having a playbook, but actually if you ever watch um, Major League Baseball these days, when a batter comes up, what happens? They shift their infield, you know, to a different way. And, I mean, sometimes on a left-handed batter's up, there's nobody on the third base side of, the, of, of second. Everybody's over there, and, and that's all done by study and research. And, and So anyway... We actually have a playbook. It's called the Bible. And the difference between this playbook and any other playbook in any sport or any, any business or anything is this book is perfect. I mean, this book teaches us what the perfect God of the universe told us that we're supposed to do and be in our lives. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look into this playbook and see something that the Apostle Paul told Timothy, his uh, young uh, student in the faith, about what it means to grow up. How you move from being a believer to a disciple and spirit led. And and he wouldn't have said it it that way, but that's exactly what he was doing. So if you have your Bible, if you'll open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you have your Bible, somebody told me they just got a new Bible app, so you can try it out today. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen. But it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. And, And if a couple of these verses sound familiar, it's because Pastor Brad used verses 16 and 17 a few weeks ago in his message. But Paul wrote this to Timothy. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that you desire us to know you and you desire us to grow up to be like your son Jesus. And we thank you for the truth that we just read, that your word will help us do that, will encourage and equip and correct and rebuke us. And and will give us the tools that we need to become the best and the strongest and uh, the most diligent believers that we can be. And then we can grow up to be disciples and spirit-led folks who will glorify your name and advance your kingdom. And we pray, God, right now that you would open each of our hearts, that we would hear the one thing and apply it in our life this week that will make us one step closer to being like Jesus. This we ask in his name. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at that instruction closely. We're going to turn back to verse 14 and it says, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. So, Christianity doesn't happen in a vacuum. And for Timothy, uh, his Christianity started out as Judaism because Jesus hadn't come yet when Timothy was, you know, uh, or he, he had come but he wasn't aware of it until a little later in his life. But Timothy had been taught by his mother and grandmother the truth of God. And when I was growing up, for me, it was my mom... And it was uh, Bernadine Lockard and, and uh, Geraldine Byrne, who were Sunday school teachers, and Uncle Chuck and Andy Wygant. From the time I was born and moved from explorer to believer to disciple and almost to spirit-led, that was uh, Andy Wygant and my mother and Bernadine and, and Geraldine. And Bernadine was my second grade Sunday school teacher. And one day when I was in second grade, she said to me, Chris, you're going to be a preacher someday. And I said, Phew, you're crazy. Must be on medication. You know, I don't, I don't know. But she was right. I don't know how she knew, but she somehow knew that when I was in second grade. I don't think any second grader really wants to be a preacher when they grow up. I don't know. But, but I didn't. And, and, but she saw something in there. And, and she actually must have helped to draw it out because here I am today, right? But anyway, so Timothy had somebody, and I hope you had somebody that taught you the ways of Jesus when you were growing up. And if you didn't, that's why you need a church, you know, where we're teaching the ways of Jesus and living those out so that you can have that same kind of teaching. Now, Paul says why Timothy should have listened to his mom and grandmother. And here's what he says next. He says, you know they are true, the teachings that is, for you know you can trust those who taught you. This is so important. Each of us needs to have some examples, some role models that we can look to because Jesus is invisible. I don't know if anybody ever noticed that, but you can't really see Jesus. But you can see Jesus in people. And so we need people around us who are following Jesus, who are a little farther ahead of us, so we can follow them. In fact, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. That's an important second part, you know. And I can say to you, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, Because as I like to say, there's no T at the end of my name, just Chris, not Christ, you see. But sometimes Christ is in me. In fact, more and more as I get older and as I continue to let him be more and more in charge. And so we want to have examples around us who are like Timothy's mother and grandmother, who are are like uh, my Uncle Chuck and and Andy Wygan. And if you haven't had those, you can have those here. I can promise you that. And, And then Paul says this next. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, this is so important. No matter how good of examples you've had, you haven't had any perfect examples, because there are no perfect examples but Jesus. And here's what happens sometimes. People look at the examples and they say, that doesn't look like what I read about in my Bible, that person isn't perfect, and so they say Jesus must not be real because that person isn't perfect. No, Jesus is real. That person just isn't perfect. And so that's why Paul rooted Timothy back into the Scriptures. That's what you have to do. We have to root ourselves in the Scriptures no matter what. And In fact, this statement I want to make now is so important. I'm going to have them put it up on the screen. It says this. While we all need people to show us the ways of Jesus, the only way to gain the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus, Christ Jesus is through the Bible. Timothy had the great advantage of being taught the Scriptures by trustworthy people. I had that advantage myself, and I hope you did. But if you didn't, we always have the Word of God. Even if you never had a single trustworthy person in your life, the Word of God is always trustworthy, and you have it there. Now, I had a problem when I was a teenager. When I was 15 years old, there were a couple of ladies in the church, and they did some hypocritical stuff in front of me. And so I went home that day, and I told my mother I was never going back to church again. And for two years, I didn't. I continued to read my Bible, I continued to tell people at school about Jesus, but I didn't go to church for two years because I made the mistake that I asked you not to make. I equated the people in the church with Jesus, and they weren't. And nobody can live up to that standard. But what happened in my life, thank God, Andy Wygant, the pastor, uh, came, he was a young man just out of of Harvard, actually, and uh, he was a squash and tennis player, varsity, and had been undefeated at Harvard, which is a tough thing to do in those two sports, but anyway, I was impressed by this young man, and I didn't know it, but my mother went behind my back and invited him to come to dinner once a week because he was single, but more importantly because she thought he might have an influence on my life, and he did. We started having a Bible study every week, and then we, I would go with him to do hospital visits, and then we went to IUP, and we played racquetball together, and we kicked, I should say Andy kicked everybody's butt while I sort of watched, you know. but we got to play racquetball, and that was fun. And then one day after about six months of this, Andy asked a question that changed my life. He said, Chris, why don't you come to church? And I said, because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Do you see what I did? Two people had done one thing that was hypocritical. And two years later, it was all of them are hypocrites. (laughs) That's what happens sometimes. We generalize. And so I did. And so Andy helped me through a series of questions to realize that I was a hypocrite myself. And then he said this. Well, I always figured I'd rather go to church with a hypocrite than to hell with him. So here I am, 41 years later, I've hardly missed a Sunday of church. (laughs) You see, we talked about it a little bit last week, didn't we, that we are all hypocrites. There's this, what we say, and this is what we do, and if it's that far apart, we're a hypocrite. And the truth of the matter is, most people in churches really do love Jesus, and most people really are following the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some people that are hypocrites in churches, and they couldn't pick Jesus out of a lineup. But the point of the matter is, this word is always true, whether it's being lived out by people that are spirit-led and who are doing their very, very best to follow the way of God in their life, or whether it's somebody who's actually probably over there in the dark who doesn't even know Jesus but just shows up in church because their friends go. As we think about this, what Paul says is that you can trust the Scripture and you can trust people to a degree, but you can't trust them as much as you can trust the scripture. And then finally, he tells us why you can always trust the scripture. It's because of this, that all scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, the key word there is all. All scripture is inspired by God. Not just the part of the scripture that we have underlined in our Bible because we like it. But all of the Bible is the word of God. And it does several things. The first thing it does, it tells us what's true. Now, you cannot know what to do if you don't know what's true. And Mark Batterson, you know, when he was here on Wednesday, he said something that's really powerful. He said, we live in a culture that says it's wrong to say that anything is wrong. We live in a culture that says it's wrong to say that anything is wrong. And then he said, that's wrong. That's wrong. And the Bible says that too. You see, what the Bible does, it shows us what's true. And when we look at what's true, what happens is we go, oh, wow. I don't do that all the time. And so I know there's something wrong in my life. Now, here's the thing you need to know about God. His goal is not just to make you know what's wrong in your life. In fact, that's a really minor goal. God wants us to know what's wrong in our, li- our lives. Why? So he can correct it. So we can do what's right. So that we'll do the good things in our lives. Because God knows the good things in life are better for us. In fact, the thing it says here is that we are to be prepared and equipped uh, to do every good work. The Bible is going to prepare and equip us to do every good work. And if you're an explorer, you're in here today, you haven't yet trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, or maybe you just became a believer, and you hear that the goal of your life is to do everything good, you might go, hmm, it doesn't sound very fun. It doesn't sound like very much fun to do everything good. In fact, what I know, because I look at life from this lens, I'm I'm spirit-led at this point in my life, and I look back over my life and I go, man, I remember when I was a teenager, and I remember how often I did stuff, and I was already a believer, maybe even in this range as as a teenager, and I remember I did stuff because it was fun, but it was wrong. You see, sin is fun. We have to admit that in the church. Sin is fun. If sin felt like a root canal, nobody would sin, right? But sin feels good. That's why we do it. Sin feels good until it doesn't. That's what I've experienced. Sin feels good until it doesn't. You, you do something and you go, wow, that felt good. And then you go, well, now I feel guilty. Now I, I, I wonder if God still loves me. And you start asking all those questions. God still loves you, by the way, no matter what you do. But God still loves you. But when you do the right thing, when you do the good thing, when you do the next right thing, every moment of your life in the power of the Holy Spirit, at the end of the day you go, wow, that was a good day. And you smile. And, and the smile is more permanent than the, the fun that you had for 10 minutes or 10 hours or whatever it was. Because sin, sin is going to ruin our lives, and, and, and even though it feels fun in the moment, sin doesn't, what I always say is, nobody intends to be an alcoholic, nobody intends to be a drug addict, nobody intends to get addicted to pornography, nobody intends to get a divorce from their spouse, nobody intends all those things. But the things that lead to those things are all fun, and then one day, woo. But if you follow Jesus and you get to the point where your spirit led in, so that means that the Holy Spirit is leading your life. In fact, I was telling a couple in the church today on Wednesday morning, I just felt led to pray for them. And they said it's interesting, coincidental, that their dad was having surgery that morning. You see, that wasn't coincidental. God led me to pray. I didn't know why. Just pray for them. And that's what happens. And when when that gets confirmed, (laughs) that's way better than getting high or drunk. It really is. And so, I I know that's pretty serious, but the bottom line is the Word of God is going to do what's good for us if we let it. The Word of God will always help us. Now, here's the thing. The top five things that you believers want, if you're a believer in here, from other believers and from your church, you want number one. Same thing that the explorers want. You want help in developing a personal relationship with Jesus. Makes sense, because if you're an explorer, you really need help in getting a personal relationship with Jesus. But once you get a personal relationship with Jesus, when you're a baby in Jesus, if you will, you want to know, how do I get closer to Jesus so I can grow up? And then the second thing that you want is help in understanding the Bible in greater depth. And last week, that was fourth. Last week, that was the fourth thing that you wanted. If you're an explorer, but that makes sense too because if you're an explorer, the Bible isn't so important. But once you become a believer, now the Bible becomes very important because you know that if you understand the Bible, you're going to understand God's will. And if you understand God's will, your life is going to be better. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you. We have a lot of opportunities for you to understand the Bible here. We do it here in worship every weekend. We do it through small groups, which are starting up in October. We do it through relevant student ministries for 6th to 12th graders. We do it for kids Zone for kids that are 5th grade and under. But the best way ever invented for you to understand the Bible in greater depth is to open it up and read it yourself. Open it up and read it yourself. And I know what people are going to say. Well, I open up the Bible and I read it. I don't understand it. When I went to um, high school, well, it was actually a junior high school, in 8th grade, 7th grade, I took Spanish. And when I opened up that Spanish book, I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand how to say hello in Spanish. You know what I'm saying? Because they didn't have public television when I grew up. They hardly had television. Yes, they did. Okay. But anyway, I opened up my Spanish book and I didn't understand anything. So did I close my Spanish book and throw it away? No. I opened it up again. And then I got a teacher. That would, you might think that's a good idea. Not really. Okay. Um, you can't throw your Spanish book away if you want to learn Spanish, okay? You have to open it up again, and you get the teacher to help you, and maybe you even need a tutor or whatever. But the bottom line is, over the years, I kept going back to my Spanish book, and I kept reading my Spanish, and I kept learning. I even prayed, God, help me to speak Spanish, because I go to these places where they speak Spanish. And now last year, I went to Cuba, and I was able to teach 45 minutes in Spanish, to a group of Cuban pastors, and I tell you what, that's way better than speaking English and having to go through a translator, and the reason it happened is because I didn't quit the first time I opened up my Spanish book and didn't understand. Same thing is true for your Bible. You open it up the first time, and you don't understand, so you read it again, and maybe you understand a little bit, and then you open it up again, and say, God, I really want to understand what your word says here, and, and so please, by your Holy Spirit, help me to understand, and here's the thing. If you've never read the Bible on a regular basis, I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of Mark or John. The Gospels are the stories about Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. I encourage people to read Mark and Proverbs. The reason I encourage those two books is Mark is 16 chapters, Proverbs is 31 chapters. If you started on the first day of the month and read one chapter of each, at the end of most months you would have read the whole book of Proverbs which is the wisdom of the smartest man who ever lived next to Jesus. And I would encourage you to do that for several years so that word gets into your mind and eventually into your heart and into your actions. And then Mark, that's the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters, so you read through 16 on day 17, you go to chapter 1 again, you read through when you get to day 30 or 31, then you just read a couple extra chapters, and so you read through Mark twice a month for six months, and then you know the life of Jesus, you know the story of his life, his death, his resurrection, his teaching, his miracles, and it starts to work into your life, it starts to work and transform you, and when that happens, it's one of those things that, you know how when you do something and you get good at it, then you want to do it more? And that's what happens. And you start to understand it better, and you go, wow, I can't wait to read my Bible today. Not because I'm going to check it off my list, but because it's changing me from the inside out. That's what God does through his word. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here, and you can get one as you're walking out of church today. If you don't have a Bible and you have a smartphone, you have a Bible. It's sort of like my brother said. He went to some place, and he was refereeing a, a, a volleyball game, and the other referee came and said, how'd you get here? And Ken said, I turned on my phone and followed the GPS. And the guy goes, well, I don't have GPS on my phone. And Ken said, do you have a smartphone? He goes, yes. He goes, then you do. He goes, how? He goes, Google, navigate to York on the guy's phone. And it gave him the thing and turned it on. He goes, "Whoa, I didn't know I had that. Well, you have a Bible. If you don't know you had that, you have a Bible on your phone or your computer or whatever. But if you want the book, we have them out there. Okay. Now, The next thing that you want, if you're a believer, is you want the church leaders who model and consistently reinforce how to grow spiritually. That was fifth last week for Explorers, but it moves up to third because you want to see, how do I become a disciple? How do I become spirit-led? And so if you look around in this church, as I said last week, you're going to see people, not just the staff people, not just the elders, not just the leaders, but you're going to see people who are growing in their walk with Jesus, and they want to help you to move to the next level. And then fourth, you want compelling worship services or experiences. Interesting thing, last week that was second. For explorers, compelling worship experiences are second. And for believers, they're fourth. And what we're going to find out next week is they're not even in the top five for disciples. And they're not even in the top five for spirit-led people. Well, why, why is that? Well, it makes sense if you think about it. If you're an explorer, you're coming here. You don't believe in Jesus yet. So what do you want? You want, you want to stay awake for an hour and a half. Right? You want to go home and go, I, I didn't fall asleep. You want to go home and say, well, I feel pretty good now. You want to go home and say, that music, wow. I mean, that music really got to me. And, and, and so what happens is when you're uh, an explorer, a compelling worship service experience is very important. We get that. In fact, I told people last night, we're down with that. That shows you that I know that you want compelling worship experiences. And I'm 58. That means I'm okay with that if you're older than 58. Okay? All right, so... But by the time you come to being a believer... You now still want the compelling worship experience, but when you become a disciple, and I'm not going to be here next week for that because I'm going to be in Cambodia, but what we're going to talk about next week is that's not on the list anymore because the farther we get in this way, the more we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves, and we're more about God and others than we are about our own needs. And and again, we're totally, totally, totally okay with the fact that when you're here and you don't really know Jesus yet, you're more into yourself than into God. That makes sense. We understand that, but the farther we walk along this way, the more like Jesus we become and the more we want to do what he calls us to do. All right, then the the next thing is that you want challenge to grow and take next steps. Now, here's the thing. This really blew the Willow Creek people away because if you know anything about Willow Creek Church, you know it's called a seeker-driven church. In other words, they're all about making people feel comfortable when they come to church. There's never going to be a cross at Willow Creek because they don't want people to be offended by the cross. They want people who come in to feel like they just went into an auditorium and then we're going to talk about God. And they talk seriously about God. But they thought when somebody went from being an explorer to being a believer that they sort of want to be coddled and sort of carried gently to the next stage. That's not true. Believers want to be challenged. They want to be told, how can I become a disciple? I don't want to be a believer. I want to grow up. Now here at New Life, we've always believed that. We've always believed that anybody, wherever you're an explorer, whether you're a believer, whether you're a disciple, or whether you're spirit-led, that you want to be more like Jesus. And so we have never watered down or sugar-coated the truth. We've always said it in sometimes humorous ways. We've always said it clearly. We've always said it so that if you don't know Jesus, you'll know what we're talking about, even if we're doing an insider kind of a thing, which I did last night and I didn't do today. That whole thing about commissioning faith in me, that was an insider kind of thing. So if you're here as an explorer, Sorry. Um, what we're doing. I'm I'm sorry that we didn't explain it. I'm not sorry that we did it. I'm sorry that I didn't explain that this is an insider kind of thing. We don't do this every week. Um, It's a pretty big deal for us to go halfway across the world to tell people about Jesus, and we just wanted prayer before we left because we believe that prayer is very vital. So, Willow Creek has taken a certain approach, and now they're changing that approach because they now know that people want to be challenged, and so we've always taken the challenging approach. In fact, we used to have what was called today's challenge at the end of every message. Today's challenge, let's go out there and do something as a result of having been here today. Now we have today's commitment. We changed the word from challenge to commitment. Why did we do that? Because the challenge is sort of take it or leave it. You know, I, I, I say at the it to thing, hey, Brennan, I'm going to challenge you to go out there and read your Bible every day. And you go, oh, okay. And you may or may not do that. But if I say, Brennan, I'm, are you going to commit to reading your Bible every day this week? Are you? You just shook your head yes, right? Okay, so now I can, I can come back next week. Well, actually, it'll be three weeks. And I'll say, Brandon, did you read your Bible every day? I can hold you to that if it's a commitment. I can't hold you to that if it's just a challenge. So that's why we have a commitment every week. And you don't have to do the commitment. But if you make a commitment before God to do something, then we believe that you're going to do it. And we know this. If you'll take the challenge to commit yourself, To doing something. One thing this week and one thing next week and the next week. For 52 weeks, you're going to be closer to Jesus at the end of 52 weeks than you were when that year started. Whenever the year started. So, next week we're going to talk about disciples. But for today, here's the commitment. The commitment is simple. And it's actually easy. Simple and easy this week. I will read my Bible every day because it is the surest way to know Jesus better. I will read my Bible every day. Because it is the surest way to know Jesus better. So what I'm saying is, if you're going to make this commitment, a commitment, you're going to go out today, and if you haven't read your Bible yet, you're going to read the Bible. And then tomorrow you're going to read the Bible, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. If you've never read the Bible before, you might take my advice and start with Mark chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 1, and read a chapter each day. And this is what I will guarantee you. If you do that, and you simply ask Jesus, will you please fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can apply what I'm reading today your life will be different somebody else's will be too for the good and I can guarantee you that if you do that you'll take a step closer to being wherever you are if you're an explorer you might take that big step to become a believer if you're a believer you might take a step closer to being a disciple and actually discipleship includes reading your Bible on a daily basis on a regular basis at least but probably a daily basis so that's the challenge and that's the commitment this week. I'm challenging you to read a Bible and I'm asking you to make a commitment to do that because I know what it does in a person's life. I know what it's done in mine. I've been reading the Bible almost every day since I was six years old. And I'm an old guy, so I've been reading the Bible for 52 years. It's a lot of days. And I thank God that I have because I've learned stuff in there that has made my life so much, so much better, so much more effective, sometimes hard. Actually, a lot of times hard, kept me away from some bad stuff and straightened me out when I got it wrong. And that's my prayer for each of us this week, that we will let the Bible do what it does in the power of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word written, and we pray today that we will take it and read it and digest it. And let your Holy Spirit use it in us that we can be light and salt out in the world. That we can show people, your son Jesus, that we can live more and more like your son Jesus. And take one more step closer to wherever we need to be to be spirit-led followers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.